So the th- the funny story is during the forties and blunts party was that we were so crowded you couldn't. It was like this, so we couldn't even walk in the room. This everyone guy, was up. Yeah, there. everyone was up. So this guy comes to the front door and he's like, "Can I come to the party?" And it was it was Jay Z. Insane. I didn't okay. let him in. We love Jay Z. He used to come to our <laughs> studio all the time. Yeah. And we just we made a thing that listen. We no one so else we can't is let anyone in. else in. And so he. You know, <laughs> Took it a, maybe a little too far. <laughs> Welcome to the Mike Squires and Friends podcast. I'm your host, Mike Squires. Today, I'm joined by two friends. I'm joined by David Lotwin and Doug Grama, the creators of D&D Studios. D&D Studios was a music studio located on Manhattan's west side. And I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Doug and David about how they got their start in the studio business and some of their education. We also talked DJ Premier and the 45 King, two of my producer influences. And I also spoke to them about the artists that recorded at D&D Studios, such as as Biggie Smalls, Jay-Z, Nas, KRS-One, Fat Joe, Eminem, Nas, and so many more. They tell me some exclusive stories about what was going on at the studio around that time, all the way up until the studio's closing. Then I got to talk to David and Doug about what's next for them. So needless to say, this is going to be an amazing episode. You can support the Mike Squires and Friends podcast by hitting that little subscribe button if you're on YouTube, or hitting download and leaving a rating on your preferred podcast platform. Now, ladies and gentlemen... Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Mike Squires and Friends. David, Doug, welcome to the Mike Squires and Friends podcast. Okay. I appreciate you guys coming out today. How's everything been? Good, good. It's good. Beautiful. Nice I want, to be here. Yeah, I want to take it back to the beginning. How did you guys meet originally? I know you guys are childhood friends, but how did you guys meet? How exactly we met. I remember the first day we met. See, he remembers, See, his rem- memory's way better yeah. than mine. <laughs> uh, too many bong hits, but uh, back in the day, uh, we were, it was ninth grade, believe it or not. And I remember we were in uh, back of junior high school and we were playing whatever, you know, it was school time, it was play time. And somehow I got introduced to him. It was like, that was the moment that I met you. Oh, it yeah. was ninth grade. And we met and we were like, yeah, hey, what's up? You know, we kind of were like, you know, friendly and all that. And maybe we hung out once or twice then. But really solidified it was. So that summer we both go to sleepaway camp. And uh, so we're in the Delaware River. And we all fall out of our canoes. And I'm, I fall out and I'm on the side of the, uh, of the river. And I'm looking at the river, and who do I see floating down the river? But none other than David from D&D, before D&D. So I go, now David, he had a little more hair back then, okay? But I saw him floating, his head was bopping up, and I go, Dave, I'm screaming his name. He's like, oh, my God. I go, and that kind of like... There's something about that, you know what I mean? We talk about this often, you know, like, how did that, that was the weirdest thing. And then after that, once we went into high school, we were, we were partners and best friends, and we had our our crew, and you know our LB crew, Lawrence Boys crew, LBC, right, Lawrence, Lawrence Boys crew, yeah. and uh, we're all going out, uh, actually going still to still to a this day, Jet Game Sunday. That's amazing. Seven yeah. of us, and on the ninth, like twenty of us are going out. Yeah, we, all we, guys, we graduated. All guys, we graduated, and then we have a really solid group of friends uh, that experimented in everything. So, you know, forget about just partying and all that. We were cutting edge in music. Like when everyone was listening to disco and, and you know, pop music, we, at the time, there was a thing called jazz fusion. And jazz fusion was like the ultimate in musicianship. Best players and cool music. And we somehow, through Dave and his influence, got really into it and any type of really intense music like Frank Zappa or really progressive Return to Forever Return of Chick Corea Stanley Clark I mean all these amazing names and that we look back at it now and and then we got back into rock and roll like we were like more into that and then we're like 
Well, well, Led Zeppelin's here. We love Led Zeppelin, of course, right? We love all that music that was coming out. We had the classic music coming out in those days. And even disco. I love disco now. Now I go back and listen to it. Oh, that shit is great, man. Yeah, I love you know. It's but funny. back then, we were anti-disco. Yeah. What was, it was fucked? What was the- Zap and disco sucks. Disco sucks. That was, yeah. I believe, we have shirts. Disco sucks. Because yeah, yeah. disco was the, you know, what the normal people did. You know, the, the hot girls and the guys with their little chains, the little Coke spoons and all that stuff going to the clubs and- we just weren't into that. We were like going to Grateful Dead shows and we were seeing like really amazing musicianship back in the day that, that just really doesn't, it exists. Obviously you see it now on YouTube and you see yeah. it online. We didn't have that back then, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's how we, you know, kind of musically bonded, bonded, not realizing what the future held for us. Yeah. And I actually got to see the Dead and Company recently, so I was really excited to, you know, see Now, we them. saw the original. I can't even imagine. Jerry, and back in the day dozens when it was- Dozens and dozens of Yeah, we used yeah. to go Some all the time with the stories within that, threaded within that was- uh, I haven't seen them since Jerry died, though. Yeah. It's not either have I. Yeah. So, part of your music education, so you were working at MNI, correct? Looking and, at- and, well, bef- Right, before that, so then we went up to, you know, we did our high school bid. Right. And uh, we off, went off to college. I went to Berkeley School of Music. I was a guitar player and I really felt like, you know, I wanted to be like a musician. And it's really before anything in my mind about recording. I don't know anything about recording. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and Dave went off to uh, Curry College. Also. Curry. In Boston. Boston. Both yeah. of us in Boston. So, so we weren't we, too far away from each other. Yeah. We'd, we'd go and see each other every once in a while. But that was an incredible experience going to a music school and being surrounded by the top musicians in the world, young guys that ended up being some of the most famous, you know, amazing players like Steve I and uh, Dave Rosenthal. Dave Rosenthal wow. from uh, Billy Joel and uh, Melissa Etheridge was across the hall for me. I mean, it was like pretty amazing time for us, you know, and uh, and even then, no. No sign of D and D yet. You know yeah. the story. It, it, it goes. You know it goes on. You know we're, we're living our lives. We're we're trying to figure out what we want to do uh, from this college. He's at college. His th- things are going crazy over there. There's partying going on in schools, and you know I'm like studying music, and you know I'm realizing, wow, I don't, I don't think I could do this. I mean, I didn't have the right back in the day. It was long hair, skinny, tall. I was opposite of everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know but I mean? you were a great player. I was a great player. I was a good player. I was like, great. I was good, you know, yeah. but it wasn't, you know, but you weren't Steve. I was I. musical. Right. I had Steve. I, he was like down the hole from me. I'm right. like, this yeah. guy, I, where am I going with right, this? Right. You know? Yeah. And then my guitar teacher, who was a monster, Al Defino, uh, he didn't have two nickels to rub. I mean, I was like, where am I going with this? He's like teaching guitar. He's trying to find gigs. And he's amazing. He really reached that that pinnacle where I was trying to get to. So it was, there was no way that I was going to go that way. I had uh, grander visions than that. Too much ambition. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I left school. I think he was still in school. And I never forget, this is, this is the beginning. This is the first seed of D&D. So it was a Monday night football. I was hanging out with Ian, okay. you know, in my house. We're probably doing bong hits and watching the football game, blowing out the window. You know, everything's fine, Mom. And Dave calls me. He goes, oh, I got to get out of here. This sucks. Da, 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 da. I don't like this anymore. I want to find something to do with my life. And I, uh, I'm like, wow, I just saw this commercial. <laughs> Serious. This commercial for the Institute of Audio Research Recording School. I go, sounds kind of interesting. Want to sign up? He goes, yeah, let's do it. So that was it. We signed up for Institute of Audio Research to go to school together the following fall. And that's where it really started. That's where it really started where we're like, okay, we're going to get into this. We yeah. didn't know about D&D. It still wasn't talk about us opening a studio together or anything like that. But it was the, the beginning of it where we got into recording. And then now to bring you back to where you asked the question, I went to M&I Studios and did my internship over there. Yeah. And Dave went to Jamaica and did his internship with Peter Tosh and all these reggae greats. You can tell them that. Yeah, I want to talk about that. That was my next follow-up question. I know that you went to Jamaica, so how was that experience? Oh, it was mind-blowing. Yeah. It was so much fun. I mean, at that point, we were really into reggae and obviously Bob Marley and and to be able to go there and have that experience and— immerse myself in uh, the Rasta culture and 
And reggae music, you know, was beyond beyond measure. Loved it. Yeah. The great experience he had, man. Yeah. It was very, very cool. I had the, a different type of experience with me. I was like learning the technical aspects of it all. I was like working under a master engineer who uh, we were recording jingles and we were recording, uh, we recorded BB King uh, record, which won the Grammy, Blues. Birthday Blues. And we were, I recorded with, you know, some amazing uh, writers and just learning how to really make records. Yeah. Know? That was like where I really was taught how to do it. And it was M and I, thus, when we did come to, together, it was D&D. &D. <laughs> yeah, we thought of a bunch of names and it just, we went back to D&D. &D. So wait, can you tell me a little bit about the Bronx Connection then? Yeah, well, that was, that was, you want to start that, Dave? That well, was, that was the first spot. Well, somebody told us if you want to open a studio. No, 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 no. That was Mitch? after. That was after. So oh, what, that was after. So once we went to so, Manhattan. Yeah, yes. what, so what happened was, I, I'll tell you. I worked at M and I Studios, and this guy Donnie, Donnie Fury, who Donnie was, Astro Fury, he was an amazing guitar player. He jammed with Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, that was his, his big as, claim. As his tagline, but we, we loved him. him. We, we loved, loved him, and he that. came to. He was with us for many years. Um, Love Donnie. So uh, he, I was sitting in in the. Everything was surrounded by a joint. Okay, so just saying, there was a joint smoke <laughs> at the time. We and were Donnie sitting had in the, the office. Best part yeah, of anyone it was in the office the of uh, of M and I, and I'm like, damn, you know, I I I want to I want to take my bar mitzvah money and buy equipment. You know, I had this money, and he goes, well, you should set it. I have a place in the Bronx. Yeah, that's amazing. That's how that story came about. Donnie turned this on to a Frank. I think his name was. And and Tommy and all and those Tommy, guys yeah. and they had this this built recording studio there. It was built. It was top of right next to a, a cab station and a Carvel and you know yeah. and we're like, by the Bronx Zoo. And then we got over there and like wow look at this place I and mean, this is like we were like we were young we didn't we didn't know any of it but it was a built studio. Yeah. So but these guys were like you know they were a little greasy snaky guys you know but Dave and I did our thing you know we set up shop in the Bronx. And we go there every single day, and we try to get sessions, and it was wasn't easy going, but oh. sessions did come every once in a while. The back of the Voice magazine, we yeah. have ads and penny savers, that yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. that yeah. was the vibe. Yeah. Well, who was doing the marketing? Like who was putting in a lot of the work? You were both were trying was, to yeah. out. We just we're so we're doing out everything. Ads. We were doing. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing. It was just it, me and him. It was really so back of the Village Voice, and you know, the there's voice, really yeah. not much beyond that. There was no, you know, obviously no internet or marketing like that. Uh, but uh, after about a year, year and a half, I went back to M and I, hanging out with them. Of course, probably smoking a joint. And Mitch is like, you know, you you could find a, a, a studio if you just call Rehearsal Studios in Manhattan. A lot of them have extra space. So we go in the Village Voice, which was really the Bible at the time, Absolutely. and it said, A. AAA Sparkling Image Studios. AAA, he does that because it keeps him on top of the list. That it's was alphabetical. Alphabetical, yeah. right? So, Sparkling Image. And <laughs> I called him up. He goes, yeah, we've got a ton of space. Come on down. R Ray Fulton. Right? Yeah. And we went down there, and he, he mapped out 1,000 square feet for us for Studio A. And we uh, he was a, he was a, a, a builder, or a master builder, this mm. guy. So... We made a deal with him, and you know we were—we didn't know what the hell we were doing. You know, building walls and floating floors, and we had no idea. Three what we layers of sheetrock. Yeah, right. Yeah. All of a yeah. sudden, we're got uh, five hundred pieces of sheetrock here, and we're like, we're like nineteen to twenty years old. We have no idea what we're doing here. But he helped us, you know, get it together. In that sense, he was actually good because he knew what he was doing. Yep. And uh, that's where it started, Studio yeah. A. So, David. How do you think your experience in Jamaica affected the studios that you guys ran up here? Well, certainly we had a, a bit of a client base from Jamaica. So when they came in, but whether it was Peter or we had, uh, you know, the Heptones up there, Augustus Pablo, we had a lot of reggae guys at the beginning because of my experience. But the first one was a band that they brought all their gear and all their two inches. I was like, oh my God, look at this. The band was called Native. Oh, of course. That was I, the first, because Dan I, did. Li I lived with Native when I was in Jamaica. They were good friends and great guys. And They were uh, they were going to be the next big thing. They yeah. were like one of those groups that were being backed by all the reggae artists, and, and right. they were, and they brought drum kits and amps and, and like 42-inch tapes and that were recorded in like Jamaica. And all of a sudden, as a, a young engineer, 
I was like, oh shit, I got all these tapes. So when everyone would leave, I popped those two inches, Dave and I popped the two inches <laughs> on the machine and we'd be like, yo, let's mix this thing, man. Let's just, you know, and learn every piece of gear and learn how everything really worked and really hone in our skills. Was, yeah. So then from that point, you know, you're at the Bronx Connection studio and then you guys moved to the garment district yeah, and that's, that's where D&D that was is it. born. So that's what we're talking about now. Once we yes. hit the, the garment district on 37th Street. The way, guys, yeah. Yeah. Th- that, that that's happened. That's where it went. We didn't call any of our- 320 West 37th Street. Yeah. We didn't call any of our, our, our chips in at the Bronx. That was really a training ground. That was like, right. you know, that was like whatever came and came in and we realized that it was not going to be long lasted there. It was just my car got stolen with my guitar in it. It was the fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So who who were some of the first artists to you know, or even hip hop artists to come into D and D studios? Kila Rock was the first one I remember as a hip hop. Well, yeah. I mean, hip hop didn't come to us for a while. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We hip-hop. did not have hip hop for a long time. It was everything and anything we can get. The first. Sure. Recording artist at our studio through uh, a D and D was this guy Jacques Larocque. Mm. Okay, he was a taxi driver, and he and he still owes us the money. He never really paid us. <laughs> it's just part of the game. Sometimes <laughs> there oh, you go, right? Yeah, it is so. It was much so, part of the game. Yeah, it was yeah. too much, right? And that was our first. But I, for me, I maybe t- uh, uh, what do you say, Tila Rock? Yeah, he may have been like, and that was through Sleeping Bag. That was through Sleeping, Sleeping Bag. Was down the block. But for me, the first time that I, I realized what even rap really was, because I was not in tune with it, um, you know, I was just, I was very eclectic musically, but uh, this group came in and the Kings of Rap, they were young kids and they starts putting records on a turntable and like starts taking a beat from them, like, and Sam, I'm like, what is he doing, this guy? You know, and then all of a sudden he's, taking, he's scratching the wreck, and I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be open to this. I'm gonna, you know, it's a session. I'm gonna be good, but it was challenging to to get it, even to get the whole concept coming from a different, you know, musical background. You know, I wasn't from that, I wasn't brought up on that. Uh, so musically, uh, it was it was a little left field. Obviously, you know, I, I grew to absolutely adore and love it and respect it. I go, but it had, it took some challenges yeah. at first, you know, it wasn't just like, uh, we always welcomed everyone at the studio. I think that's part of why D&D was just a, a, a home run for us, because no matter what was happening in New York at the time, we welcomed it. And if it was, this is funny, I always say, when it was dance music, we wore our dance shirts. We went out, we had the little chains. When it was reggae, we're smoking Rasta sleeve smile, right? right? <laughs> whatever it was, whatever music came to us, that's what we were doing. And it was like, we would just kind of transform into that. Yeah, and I think that's what really made the studio special, too. I think so. I mean, it was part of it, you know? I mean, it's definitely part of, you know, Dave and his being the ability to, for him to just create relationships with these people also. I was kind of like, my head was like up my ass a little bit, like, in the studio, I want to go worry about this, and, the, and I'm teching, and I'm doing all that. But Dave was developing these amazing relationships outside, and it, it helped. You know, we were actually, you know, at the time, we didn't know, but it was, we were a perfect partnership, yeah. you know, at that moment. David, do you have any advice to, you know, like how you maintain these relationships and some, you know, how, like, what do you think made your relationships with these artists so strong? Well, you just got to be yourself, you know, just uh, can't fake the funk and try to be someone you're not or or put on airs, you know. Like I said, we, we, you know, we, we were like chameleons with the music, but within that, we were ourselves. We loved the music. 100%. 100%. And it wasn't yeah. like we were just faking the funk to be dance guys, you know? We, we loved it. We, we were in. It. We, got we loved it. it. We loved the guys. We loved the people who were doing it, right? The record. We were just, yeah. Yeah. We were still I, friends to these days, you know, really. That's amazing. All these yeah. years later, my D&D family is so strong. From the engineers to the assistants to the clients. Pre-hip-hop uh, also. Which is yeah. rare, yeah. you know? Like, oh, you don't, don't see those guys that in my family, yeah. man. It's, it's we amazing. We see each other. It's like, uh, it's like we hug each other. It's like, it's amazing, you no, know? No, that it's is like, amazing, yeah. too. I honestly, that might be, like, one of the greatest things, mm-hmm. like, you know, because it's like, not all friendships last, you know what I mean? So to have such a tight-knit community. I have the same right. telephone number I've always had. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. So it's like, I never changed it. I never escaped. I never, you know, went away from it. Even, you know, after we closed, you know, many years later, and it was rough times, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm still here. You can call me anytime. Let's go. Yeah. You know? 
So at what point do you guys connect with DJ Premier? Um, it was through Lord Finesse. Okay. He came to do scratches on Return of the Funky Man. I do. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So once he came in and he listened to the room and, you know, it, it just, uh, and then him and I became really good friends. I mean, in, incredible. That's, I speak to him, uh, you know, once a week to this day, at least. No, that's amazing. He's, that's my brother and uh, one of the greatest people on the planet. Yeah. Not just in hip hop, just people don't realize what that man does for people. Uh, he's he's just a wonderful guy, and we had a lot in common, and and we just became really good friends. And yeah, two he, freaks, <laughs> two freakies. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We, Cream and I got some stories. You know, I toured with him in Gangstar. Gangstar. Yeah, I saw that too. Just, uh, so blessed by DJ Premier. Yeah. Right. How was being on the road with him? Phenomenal. Yeah. Can you tell <laughs> me a little story or something from that time? Uh, there, there's so many stories. Um, I remember once we were in Holland and Guru disappeared. Mm. And, you know, we're looking all over and then we see him. He's coming down and he has two bottles of champagne and he's like, no one touched these bottles. I'm like, who's touching the bottles, bro? He's like, no, I drank these with Rakim. And he's like, mom, you know, he was just, you know, he, he was so blown away by hanging out with Rakim. I was like, wow, look at Guru. Like, he's he's a fan too and... Uh, you know, I just I have such a and then he went into the bunk in the in in the bus and he like had the bottles with him and like yeah. you know, how cool is that, you know? No, that is really cool. I like, actually remember the first session Primo was there. So it was in Studio A, not Studio B, because you know uh, He took it over. I heard that. Studio right. was, no, Studio A was the other not his studio. Studio, studio B, B was, was his, his yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. But this session, the first one was in Studio A. Finesse. He didn't have an engineer, uh so we gave him our assistant engineer, Karen, Eddie right? Sancho. It was Eddie. It was Eddie, right? The first I one never forget it. I just because I because I was looking at what Eddie was doing. Now, I'm an engineer, right? And he was an assistant, and he he was learning. He was still learning, and he was doing some things. I was like, I'm not going to say anything, but that is really wrong. You know, that's what he's doing is really wrong. <laughs> you know, right, right. You know, I just remember like you putting it. Whatever he was doing, he, he was told doing. Me after you didn't want to tell him in front of the client. No, I would never do that. Yeah. And you know, it was like you know. I didn't. I didn't even know, you know, how big DJ Premier was really at that moment. It was just, you know, it was a new client, and Dave said, "Oh, it's a big client. Let's let's, you know, let's, he's got a deal on EMI." I remember, I remember that, and that's where him and Eddie met. And then, obviously, you know, after that, they went to Studio B, and they never left after that. <laughs> yeah, they, they became a team, truly yeah. a team. Yeah, Eddie Sancho and Primo. Yeah, yeah. Well. You know, now in hindsight, how do you guys feel about the impact that D&D had on hip-hop? I know that's a big question, but it's... it's it amazes me. <laughs> like, all these years later, in a way, it's more prevalent and popular than it ever was. Yeah. It's such a great feeling, you know, and the, the Universal Hip-Hop Museum just hit us up. And, you know, the, the 50 years of hip-hop, we've, we've had such a great kind of resurgence and we get a lot of flowers and we feel very blessed by that and love it yeah. yeah i mean we could have stayed in the bronx bronx connection we could have done you know a hundred other kind of things and taxi drivers and and made a living but you know we really did make an impact all these years later when you look back at it i actually thought we would never leave D and D. I would I would always drive in and go how and luck and say how blessed I was at the time like wow this is awesome I get to go in and what am I doing today oh I'm, I'm making records today I have a studio business I have we had record deals and everything was just the most beautiful amazing thing I th never thought it would end over there I really didn't yeah, I'd love to talk to you guys about some of the artists that came through the studio too and maybe a story or memory you might have of when they popped in. Sure. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about Mob Deep. You know, I saw that Mob Deep was there. Yep. Very young. Very that young. That was their first record. Wow. And this was before they, the, the, that record didn't even pop. It was the next record that popped. Right. I mean, it was, you know, it was, they were coming for premiere and they were looking, they were so young. They were like kids, really young kids. And, uh, you know, the memories, were, that, was, that wasn't like, you know, they, once that record was done, they kind of moved on and recorded elsewhere. Right, they never really. Yeah, well, well, they came with Alchemist. Right, yeah, a little so, bit at the end. Right, yeah. yeah. 
But uh, for the most part, you know, it was yeah, just that the, first of the rec- the record label. I forgot who the what label they were on or who the A and R person was. But it was always about well, we got to get a, a joint from Premier, you know, and that's really where a lot of a lot of these groups started to come. You yeah, know? but oh, Mob absolutely. Deep was I remember just them being younger, and it was the same with Nas. You know, I remember this young kid sitting in the, in the lounge, and you know, probably smoking an L, you know, <laughs> and he. He was just waiting on premiere because that was yeah. the big thing, waiting on premiere. <laughs> and Nas recorded part of I Am at D&D, correct? Yes. That's insane. You know what I mean? Was he working with, like, premiere on that or? I, I, probably. Yeah, I, don't I, thought, I know you guys had so many artists yeah. coming well, through. Think, so. Yeah, I think that, I mean, really, Nas's only Nas records that recorded with us were with premiere. Were there any other artists that, I mean, producers that brought him in to us? Yeah, I think he was. I thought it was just, yeah. I think it was I'm just. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think there were. Yeah. Maybe Pete. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know KRS-One was there too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very we, integral part of our career was KRS-One. I'd love to talk more about KRS-One. Chris was, he was, he was just a motivator and obviously, you know, the talent that would come. He's just to, to sit there and ideas be flowing at him. And one night, Dave and I are in Studio B hanging out, which, you know, wasn't, he, I didn't hang out too much in there, but we were in there. And, I hung out in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was in Studio A. So, right. but, but he, you know, we were talking about music and I forgot what it was. And Chris goes, you guys should do a record. Because <laughs> Dave and I were like, we're dying to get to put out records. We were making records for everyone, but we really wanted to have a record a company and a label deal and a distribution. We wanted to look at a production company we had. We were trying to produce all this yeah. music. He goes, you guys should do a record. And they were like, yeah, you win it? He goes, yeah. Yeah, we say, oh, you'll be part of it? And then Dave did his thing. Then Dave went out and threw the fishing line out there, and he reeled in this guy, uh, jo- 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 Joey. 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 Car- yes, that's, that's I'm telling oh, you. Joey Carvello. Joey Carvello. Yeah. A very okay. famous, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, radio guy. Big up and, to Joey. Yeah, big up to Joe. And he reeled in Joey, and Joey reeled in Hosh from Arista Records. And we created this plant, this idea of uh, of known uh, producers with new artists. Yeah, with uh, a, a sprinkling tracks. of an all star track. I remember I was so, going to ask the D and D all star. So that's how the all star track happened. So we got <laughs> KRS One, we got Fat Joe, but we didn't even know who was going to be on the record at the time. Yeah, it was kind of like we 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 created this party, the 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 forties and blunts party, right? Yep. And well, we, we kind of knew, but then yeah, uh, some guys jumped in. Chris threw Mad Lion on. Yeah, mm, so right. it just started off. He's like, let him go, oh, which why, was why, great. Why, which why, was why. great. So he was yeah. a bit of a surprise. But. Yeah, but it was a great night. Cause it was one of those nights where we had the brass at Arista came down. We couldn't get into the place. A very famous story there. Dave will follow up on that <laughs> one. Primo <laughs> gave out the the, the story. I just was, told on the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So we had this party, and it was amazing. It was successful. And the front room, we had, you know, Craig G, and we had the Lost Boys all freestyling, and it was just like an incredible night. We're all, it was the 40s and blunts, so we had 40s, and we had blunts, and we're, you know, people were just going crazy. And as uh, I'm rolling a blunt, the, the president of Arista walks in, Roy Lott, I'm like, hi. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. an incredible night. Yeah. They weren't that thrilled that... Uh, like the invitation, it was 40s and Blunt's party, and it said Arista. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And they were like, guys, you can't, you got to check with legal, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were new to it. We were like, oh, sorry. But it, it, nothing happened. It went off. And, uh, that was you great. Know, it was like, Herb was a lot different back then. It yeah, was, it, was, yeah it, was, it certainly wasn't legal. And Yeah. You know. But you guys know the vibe of the studio is so important. Of course. From yeah. my understanding, well, that, you guys had a vending machine, a Blunt vending machine? Nah, that, that That's folklore. What we had was... Oh. It wasn't like roll blunts. It yeah. was blunts that you could take in. And, and then, and, yeah. You know. We had rolling papers and blunts. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, 100%. Oh, we, 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 we're like, listen, we had the vending guy. We're like, look, I need uh, 40s in there. I know, yeah, blunt paper. I need rolling paper. Yeah. I need everything in there. Newports. I need every. This is what my the, crowd wants. This okay? is what we sold, yeah. you know? Yeah. But like, everyone talks about that. We had blunts in the vending machine. <laughs> yeah. It's such a funny thing. Yeah, yeah but I mean, you, you know, even having the vending machine with the papers and everything. Well, like, so awesome. part of it. Yeah, yeah. It was know? an herb-friendly studio. Yeah, we, sure. were, yeah. we, we were came there. out of the reggae world. We both were smokers. We were yeah. advocates of 
of legalization and if you're a creative person and that's what you do, that's what you do. We did not let our employees smoke while they were on They snuck it, but it, our law was you weren't allowed to smoke. Right. That's actually really good, you know, yeah. because no. most studios I go into, the engineer's the highest one in the room. Yeah, no, no, we weren't down with that. No. After the session, you you know, you sit and chill in the lounge playing Enjoy, a little pool. No, right, I got a yeah. lot of respect for that, yeah, dude. Yeah. And, and they were like, you guys are hypocrites. Because we became very friendly with our engineers as well. Yeah. yeah. But we're like, no, we're not. We're bosses, and this is the way it is. Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, you guys are They'll complain to you if something goes wacky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you but guys just guys were, the guys, they were smoking, you know, behind our backs, behind of, course, our, of course. You know what I mean? You know. Of course. You know, there was no, no way around But the rule that. was they weren't supposed to smoke. Yeah. So the, th the funny story is during the 40s and Blunts party was that we were so crowded. You couldn't, it was like this. So we couldn't even walk in the room. And uh, we had everyone. Jazz was up there. And this everyone guy, was up yeah, there. everyone was up. So this guy comes to the front door and he's like, "Can I come to the party?" And it was it was Jay Z, insane. I didn't okay. let him. In. We love Jay Z. He used to come to our <laughs> studio all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And we just we made a thing that listen, we no one else is coming. We can't let anyone in. else in. And so he you know, <laughs> took it a, maybe a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> but how did he? How would he know? You I know? gotta hear this. Yeah. So no, he came. He was alone. He was. I said, Jay, it's just so crowded. No, he wasn't alone. He had, he had a few people. No, but no? as I remember, he was uh, alone. Right. Maybe a person or two. He certainly yeah. wasn't rolling deep. Yeah. No. But you know, yeah. And so, so we didn't let Jay Z. But he was so the cool. He got it. And, he and never, then he came back and recorded. Of course, yeah, he didn't hold it against me. You know, he doesn't remember. We spoke to him about it. He, I saw him at a Nick game. We talked about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's super funny. Yeah. yeah, maybe we could talk about Jay for a little bit. Because from my understanding, from the first time he came into the studio, he was like, I want to get my album on the wall here. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's insane how his career has transpired since then. You know, what was it like working with a young Jay-Z? Well, he was mad cool. He was he was a workhorse. He, I never saw Jay smoke once. Mm. He wasn't in there playing CeeLo. He wasn't in the lounge. He was a worker. Yeah. He was not fucking around, no. bro. No. <laughs> he was, was that guy who was also, with Also, a legit cream. guy. A legit guy. Like, I, just as a kid, I always yeah. remember, like, sitting in the lounge with him and just, like, straight shooter, no bullshit, you know. He's all about it. All about it. And, you know, he, uh, Jazz... Jazz O, as you know now, but Big Jazz, he uh, he had the first uh, deal in EMI, right? Was it EMI? Yeah. Yeah, he had the first. So. I, I don't know if it was the first deal, but yeah. Yeah, yeah he had one of the, right. He had the and song he, Hawaiian Self. And he brought Jay, Jay along on the ride, you know, and Jay was his partner in crime on doing that. And they they did music for us. We have three tracks that were never released, the two of them. Actually, it's Jay Z, three Jay-Z tracks that were never released. Old you know, school they, rhyming. Old school, like him doing the fast rhymes, you, you know? You wouldn't believe. It's so funny. Yeah, but he was great. I mean, he was an awesome guy. And, you know, oh. over the years, you know, we would produce music, and, like, my producers would use little pieces of Jay-Z in the song, scratching in, you know, yeah. the whole repertoire. Uh, Kirk Gazell, big shout-out to QNC, Kirk Gazell. And I said, yeah, and, and then we were getting played on radio. Red Alert played every day. That's and the crazy. song was big and uh, on the ground. And I'm like, Jay, he was playing. I mean, they were all in the pool room. He goes, I heard that. He goes, I go, are we all right? He goes, we're very fine. No problem. I was like, was this? I just never forget how he was like, you know, he gave me like the thumbs up. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Kurt, we're good. <laughs> and then Jay came in there and he did his whole Reasonable Doubt album. If I'm not, not the whole album, but most of most of it. Yeah. yeah. How was that when he was there working on that? Oh, it was incredible. Guy's incredible on every level. Yeah. As a person, as just you know, the biggest guy in the world now. But back then, he just humble and you know he's uh, get the work done. Get the work get done. Get the work. You know, we we'll yeah. go to the before we go to the club. We're doing a song. After the club, we're coming back and do a song. He had ski in Studio B. He had Primo in Studio uh, a B. Uh, ski was in ski A. Ski and yeah. C. Yeah. No, he was right in the, And then we had someone else in A doing it. He was like, they were taking all rooms. Dame was, you know, he was wheeling and dealing with us. And I, we always used to joke that, you know, it took him a while to pay us at the end. It was like, but like we financed the first Jay-Z album, basically. Oh, amazing, guys. <laughs> Where's our royalty? Yeah. Jay. <laughs> and, and then he would come, like, We'd get to a point where he owed like whatever five, seven thousand dollars, and I'd be like, "Damn, you know, we're get, we're getting there." Mm -hmm. And he would literally come with a shoebox, insane, dude. with fives, tens, and singles. And Here you go. Here you go. Yeah. So, at what point, do you, like, are you seeing the records from D and D Studio like hit a major Wiggle level? It. 
was a, our first gold record. For me, the first one I remember hearing. Mm. And then the second one. Two in a room, Wiggle It. Yeah, Wiggle It was a big one for us. Before, a little pre-hip-hop is when uh, okay. Freestyle was big. But right after that, our biggest record, one of our biggest records of all time from D&D was D-Like Grew, well, the whole album, but the song Grew is in the Heart. Mm. That I Once we did that, I was like, dude, Everywhere I'm going, I'm hearing this song. Every store I go in, every club I'm going in, I go, this record is huge, man. How does that feel? Interesting. It was great. It was great. I remember going to the Red Parrot for uh, their album release party. And they did that album was all done at D&D. I think every track. I mean, they spent like months. Q-Tip came in. Months and months. Bootsy Collins. And they were a new group. So, you know, who knows? Then we went to the Red Parrot and I saw that video. I was like, it's over, man. Yeah. This is the coolest shit I have ever seen. It was amazing. This it is going to be a hit record, and to this day, it's still here. It's one um, of the few no, songs. It's like they consider it a top 10 dance song of all time. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and actually, the engineer, big shout out to Mike Rogers, who. Mike Tweakin Rogers. Mike Tweakin Rogers. He got Tweakin from that session. He, uh, <laughs> to this day, he's getting clients from that record, you know? He's, he's, incredible. he's, he's yeah. incredible. He's incredible. He's in Connecticut, guys. Hi, Mike. He's very close to us right now. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. He's in, oh, he is Connecticut, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So he's uh, he's an awesome guy, awesome engineer. And uh, yeah, he did that record. And that was huge. So that, that was a, the first two big records, you know, like that were really, you know, we had records that were out that we heard, but those two records really put us to another like level. Yeah. Uh, internationally, especially. Because I was working overseas uh, as an engineer, and everyone would be like, "Yo, who did that record?" You know, it's like those records were huge for us. Um, well, tell that story. We had a group called the Blown Monkeys who came to America and came to D and D. Great group. I that's still, awesome. On yeah. RCA Records, yeah. And then they loved Doug so much when they went back to England. He left for three weeks a month, a year. My voice just went up. <laughs> it was a year. That it long, was like bro. it was it was one stay, and then I went back because I did another group called Wet Wet Wet, oh, that's right. which was wet, the wet, number wet. one album in London at the time. It was like they were like the Beatles there, and they yeah. they still to and this so day. So were the Blow Monkeys. They yeah, were the huge they were both over there. two big groups, and I was you know. It's 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 no wonder why to, to now I'm not producing hip hop now I'm producing pop music it's no wonder why because th- those were my roots and that's what came back to me naturally you know it was like yeah that's where I belong you know As, I love hip hop I go but I'm you know and I, I produce some hip hop and executive produce some amazing records Dave and I did over the years but you know I'm just I'm not I'm not I'm no, a DJ I, yeah I feel that too you yeah. know because I produce a lot of music so I'm doing a lot of like. Hip hop, but my heart's kind of in pop too. Yeah, it's yeah. just like that's, the sound that I think of you. That's how I think. Yeah, yeah. I want to listen to you. I heard pop. I heard yeah. pop with the little hip hop twinge in it. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, But yeah. I want to get back and talk a little bit more about no, some let's of the talk artists. About you. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are here. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, you guys had Big L at D and D Studios. Always. Always. Big L was a Big L was a regular there. I mean, if there was one artist that I used to see there every, I didn't even know who he was at first until Dave Carpenter. The big shout out, Dave Carp. Uh, he was our studio manager, and he goes, "Did you ever meet uh, Big L?" I'm like, "No." I go, "But I see you here all the time." He well, goes, he was doing his album. He was in the in yeah. fact, he was there the day before he died. So yeah. he, he was there. He was always seven there. seven days a week. Always, oh, wow. it was like it was yeah. a man, but it was like it seemed like it was. He was just always there because month, yeah. besides the big out, he was digging in the crate. So yeah. anytime so the, the digging DC, in the crate guys right, were yeah. there, Diamond D, you know any of those guys, uh, Buck, uh, you know L was hanging around. Yeah. He's my favorite. I love no, he, him. He, he, the potential with this young guy was was incredible. His I lyrical. Mean, I watched stuff with him now. Like I'll see some of these freestyles that he does. I just I'm like, put up one like two days. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. it it's <laughs> so good. I'm he's getting just, that. He's unbelievable. His flow was just and what he beautiful. Says. Like yeah, yeah. No, I've seen a lot well, of it too. Yeah. He's unbelievable. And we'll talk about it. I, I say everyone's the nicest guy. We were very blessed to have incredible clients yeah. that were like family. Most of them, there were some, but, yeah, but Al we, was yeah. just I mean, such a nice like Tupac wasn't guy. shot at our studio. Just know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, you know, we pretty much had a, a, a mellow situation. People respected every, us, all of us. Yeah. A couple, kinda, of, couple of incidents. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it kind of just goes back to the, the vibe. Like, it seems like the vibe at D&D Studios was one that people wanted to be around. Absolutely. Yeah. It was and incredible. we had people. We had people. 
people knew who our people were. Yeah, it was it, it was, was incredible. It, it was, was incredible good. that you know you can go do a record in Studio A, and all of a sudden you're hopping on a song in Studio B. You know, and like, and vice versa. And it was just like, you don't get that these days. Yeah. So you may get a lot of people coming to a studio for an artist, you know, like, you know, go to a studio and they got all those boys there. But you didn't have KRS one in one room and, you know, Black uh, uh, Black Moon in the other room and or the Beat Miners or Smith and Wesson. And they all got into the lounge and they all built, you know, built their relationship and all of a sudden they're doing each other's songs. And Insane. to this day, I mean, it, it carried on from there to now, I even, you know. Yeah. So you also had Fat Joe, from my understanding, sure. in, in the studio too. From when he was super young. It's crazy. If you thing- look at One Two Pass It, the video, he's wearing my watch and he's in my Jaguar convertible. Incredible, <laughs> dude. Because he didn't even have bling. Yeah, not the, yeah, he was just, but no, he, he had his record out. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, Flo Cho, just, whatever, I remember that. You know, his record out was uh, uh, signed to Alan Grunblack, I remember. And uh, yeah, he had big pun. He was he was becoming the superstar. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was you know, he was a tough guy. You know, he, he you know, he, I, I always loved Joe, but he, you know, he caused a couple of couple of issues here and there. He's a real know? cat. Yeah, he's yeah. a real cat. You know, he wasn't t- backing down to anybody. You know, and sometimes it caused some issues with. That. I think it was Frankie Public. Yeah, him and Frankie, right? Frank. <laughs> we had to make sure they. They weren't booked. Like, if Joe was coming, Frankie wasn't in B. Yeah, we had to have, like, you know, separate sometimes. Well, really, Joe was one of the few, you know, that we really had that issue. the only one I remember. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, but it was cool listening. He was who he was. And no, and I listen to this day. And to the, he's oh, doing one, though. He's amazing. Star, so man. proud of him, man. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Also, big help, and he was always back, back in D&D, and uh, to this day, when he does his show, he does his verse from One Two Pass It. Yeah. Motherfuckers know who's the best. If it ain't Fat Joe, then it must, must be, be Lord Finesse. Finesse. He does that verse live. So Yeah, I just think of like all these artists too. Like, you know, you caught a lot of these artists like early in their career and oh, they yeah. like really grew. We said that D&D. we had a lot of their first records, Lost Boys, you know, a lot of them, man. It was like their first records that broke. Their most classic Jay. records. No, yeah. good. And a lot M-O-P. of guys would move on over now. We're going to go to, you know, uh, SSL room and some expensive studio. And it, it didn't didn't hit as much, you know. Some did. I'm not saying that. All, you know. Obviously, Nas and you know uh, Jay, you know the big guys. Yeah, yeah they but definitely what moved Jay on. said, we all from the ghetto, but I go back, back up to D and D on this primo track because mm. he did move on. But when he wanted that sound, he came back. back. So ghetto. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, and you just you said MOP. So yeah, they were just on Drink Tramps last week, and they you know all these years later, they, oh D and D man, that was our shit, and you know those guys. Was that was our family. That's where we. Family, yeah. first family, Lay's comes yeah. to my house to this day. I yeah. love Lay's. I love those guys. The, probably, you know, up there with Karis, one of the best live hip hop you'll ever see is MOP. Oh, yeah, MOP live is like the last day on Earth, jam man. for sure. Oh, I'm getting a chill. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even seen it. I'm oh, getting a chill, but, but, dude. I can't imagine. Song, Forget about it. I know uh, the records, though. The record is that right now they have, you know, uh, Annie Up is probably, it's I mean, it's on every football game. I mean, it's played. I hear it five times a week on TV. Uh, Amazon used it. Yeah, I last mean, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was it was so happy that song has life. God bless them. They, 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 they cash in record, on that. Dude. Yeah, timeless, timeless record. record. And, and that record was done twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. but it sounds like it's a you know it's pumping and everyone's getting all you know. Yeah, but big up to those guys yeah, and all totally. the guys that drink champs and. And, uh, yeah, man. And Biggie was Sorry. in the studio, too. Yeah, yeah. That's insane, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. I yeah. know that you guys have a plaque for Ready to Die. Yeah. How did that come to be? It's old enough and we got a plaque. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah. But, no. you know, listen, it was, the, it was, it was based, I mean, it, Dave knows more about what happened during the sessions. He was there. But it was more about, you know, Puffy realizing that, all right, I got the commercial area covered. You know, I need to get the underground. And who do you go to? DJ Premier, you know, and that was the balance he had. So whatever was the A side, Juicy, B was, um, um, what was the B side? Uh, Kicking the door, waving the 4-4. Yeah. And so it was, we were always the B side. So all of a sudden, really, I think... That almost defined us 
truly as the B-side studio. <laughs> we were like, really, the B-side, you well, know, because mm. rap was m- making a change now. So now Puffy introduced, you know, singing hooks and, you know, and so pop, getting to pop radio as opposed to just being on hip-hop shows. Now all of a sudden underground rap was, you know, more, it was the street. Yeah. yeah it wasn't being the popular. It was for many years, but then it started to, to, to progress. Yeah. And that's when there were singles, A-sides and B-sides, yeah. which is funny. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. You're talking like records like, yeah, because yeah. I have a bunch of 45s yeah. and stuff like that. So the B-side, yeah. they always push the A-side, but they put up. But then the B-side, side. Would, well, that's what happened with Jay. Yeah. Ain't No was the B-side. Dead Press was the A-side. Yeah. yeah. All the money went into Dead, Dead Press. Press. Yeah. The video, radio promotion, you know, back in the day they had in-store promotion. It all went to that, but... but that shows if a, if a song takes as a life oh, of its own. Those were the days. I remember being at the club when that, when that song, when we all realized like, oh shit, this everyone went nuts. The song went on. Everyone, I go, this is the song right now. You yeah, can hear it. Summer, yeah. talk to every cab, every barbershop, every. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, that was amazing. But it was the B side, which is insane too. And they didn't clear the sample because it was the B side. Yeah, they didn't think 20 minutes would, funk, right? Yeah. Did you run into a lot of issues with samples sure. and samples clearance? Yeah, I believe it, dude. Because, yes. I, I mean, we didn't have issues because but we knew the, the, the seriousness of it all. When we had our record deals, real. We, 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 would, uh, we had budgets for that. Like, when we went with Arista, we said, look, you got to have, you know, these guys are going to sample. This is what's going on. And we had to clear everything. A I big mean, piece of the budget would go to clear yeah. samples. Yeah. But yeah. certainly clients in, in general, we certainly saw a lot of issues with samples. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, most famous one is uh, Primo, Ten Crack Commandments. Oh, wow. What happened there? Um, it Chuck was a, yeah, it was it was a promo. A skit. It was a it promo was a that they did for uh, Angie Martinez or something, and I don't have the, the, the real story, so I don't want to say it, but I know they, they resolved yeah. it, and, and I know Chuck well, and Primo are, are all cool now. Yeah, but yeah. at the moment, the, yeah, it wasn't Primo's something. like, what the fuck is this? It's yeah, he took this, this, yeah. this, right. And, yeah. yeah, because... When you're in that little mix and you're using your someone's record, you're not t- going after. Like, yeah, they, on Jay's record, they use uh, one two pass it. You know, we're not gonna, you know. Yeah, but you know that's what what it was about. And you know, I guess you know uh, Chuck was you know his 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 career was kind of like you know it was '90s hip hop. His his music was dying out a little bit. Mm. Of course, he's, he's probably still a legend attorney. to this day. Yeah, yeah, let's let's yeah. cash in. Let's let's try to make a settlement on this. Yeah, and you can't blame him. Also, you know. Yeah, I was actually in the studio when uh, Biggie spit that. Wow. Yeah. What was that experience was like? Unbelievable, man. Yeah. A lot of fun, yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. You guys also- But again, it was a skit, and he just loved it so much that he's like, nah, nah, we got to go with this. That's crazy. That yeah, crazy. he's, uh, yeah, Biggie was, I mean, these, you look at them as legends now, but they were kids in their prime. They That's were what I'm like, saying, like, creative juices were flowing, you know? It's like, these guys, a guy like him and Jay, they weren't even writing this stuff down. They were just going on the mic and go, okay, here, let's go, roll tape. Yeah, you guys have a perspective that most don't have because, you know, you said it, like most people look at these artists like legends, but you guys caught them so early in their career. I saw even Eminem was there with, uh, he was there. Tony Touch. With Tony Touch, dude. Well, Tony, Tony, and big shout out Tony Touch, of course. He, Tony was, uh, he brought everyone else to the studio. So, like, we had all our clients, but then he would do the 50 MCs, so and 100 MCs would come by. Yeah. Not 50, 100, and, and our studio would be like, uh, where is Tony's in Studio A and Studio B and Studio C? He'd take all the whole place, and he'd be doing all these these uh, these these freestyles. Yeah, little skits. All these skits. All the, and, and all of a sudden, like, you know, we'd see clients, like, you know, Red Man, who never recorded with us, or Nori, you know, all these guys were coming by, and they, you know, and they have their fond memories of D&D, and they speak about it to this day. You know, some good, some not so good, you know? <laughs> yeah. How how much do you think word of mouth ended up being, like, a factor in people coming to the studio? Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. There, was yeah. no, there was no promotion. We, we, we didn't have. No Insta. Like there was no Twitter. Budget. There was nothing. There was no even Village Voice that time. We didn't. We were not. There's no way to advertise. We stopped. It was no reason. Yeah. yeah, it was all word of mouth. Everything, and it was word of mouth uh, internationally. Yeah, and so, we had the labels as clients. So that's once, true. yeah, the labels you get you know, their network. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. saw Junior Mafia in there. So the next session, they didn't. Oh, okay, I'm going to book D and D. Yeah. Mm, so yeah, I'm I'm making sure I saw this right. But you watched over Fred Durst Bulldog. Yeah. 
How was that? Dude? I was I listen, I got bulldogs. It was uh I know. It was it was incredible. Easy. It was yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Do that every day. And that's still to this day one of my favorite songs that was done there. Yeah. And and that's one I still hear on the radio all the time. Yeah. Method Man, what a great song and so much fun, yeah. And pulling it back to Jamaica a little bit, Peter Tosh would come to D&D, too. That Peter. probably felt pretty full circle. Yeah, Peter came right before he left for Jamaica, then he was dead in two or three days. Oh, my god! In fact, gosh. That, that picture of me and him in D&D. I saw that. I say it's probably one of the last pictures of him ever. That's because literally he was he was killed to 48 hours later. That's yeah. crazy. And, and th- you know, again, we had Augustus Pablo, the Heptones. Uh, we did a lot of Dennis Brown. Uh, you Dean know, Brown did, did a great record. Uh, this, uh, also did um, Goldfinger. <laughs> we had a lot of great. <laughs> we had, we, so we had a lot of clients that weren't famous. You know, yeah, what I mean? of course. But were money machines for us. You know, what yeah. I mean, they would just come in and spend money. Um, we had the guy who wrote um, "The Tide Is Hide." What was his name again? Uh, he was great. Yeah. What, what's a story from D&D Studios that someone might not know? That, like, something that you guys can think of that maybe just a silly story or something? Tell them the, uh, uh, the MO, was it, they called you or they called me? The MOP story when I remember, I remember them calling me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Billy and the fame, they're recording in Studio B. I don't know, with the Primo or somebody. I don't remember the record, but... uh he had, he had this, I guess it was a watch. It was a watch. Yeah, it was a watch. And he was wearing this watch, and he took it off and put it down, and gets to do his rhyme, and he came back, the watch was gone. Wow. And this is Billy. Now, Billy in his day, you know, these guys they're were- real cats, man. They're real street they're like cats, that. man. And I remember it was like two in the morning, getting a phone call from the manager, probably Paul at the time, and he goes, Doug- Billy wants to talk to you. He'll go, oh, okay. So I'm like in bed. I'm sleeping. I'm out cold. Okay. Because usually they call me because that was more of my role. Billy, what's up? He goes, Doug, I'm locking the doors. I'm like, what do you mean? I go, I'm locking the doors. My watch is missing. I'm not letting anybody leave. I go, I remember saying, Billy, do what you got to do, bro. Crazy, dude. All right, so do what you got to do. And ended up being one of the assistant engineers. Got a little uh, little sticky with his fingers. Oh, no. So how do you guys handle that? We oh, didn't. He handled it. Oh, the guy, we never saw him. Again. Never saw him again. He beat that. I don't know. They had a little problem between the two of them, and that was that. You know, but he got his watch back, and that was that. That's crazy. But another another funny one, just to go back a few years before that, was this guy. You tell him the story. You know where I'm going with this? Uh, fat boy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I. You know, I had my wedding ring on, and I used to take it off to wash my hands, and it was gone. Oh, wow. I'm like, fuck, man. So I right, listen. A couple days later, I walk in Studio A. Uh, one of the fat boys, uh, Marky D, is playing the DX7, and he's got my ring on his face. <laughs> Insane, dude. I'm like, bro, that's my ring. It goes, oh, I found it. He goes, the rings never fit me. I put it on and fit me. I go, cool. I'm having a fat boy. Great. All right. All good. Yeah. That's so silly. But they, yeah. were, they were actually our, our first big rap client. Yes, of all big out. Yeah, we love those Charles guys. Stetler to this Charlie day. Charlie Stetler, is a, we talked to awesome. all the time. Yeah, Charlie's great. And Amazing, he, he brought a lot guy. of work with us. But the fat boys, you know, that's when I was engineering. That's yeah. how old that is. Because at some point... I was done engineering. I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't hang with everyone. I just said, "Well, give it to the kids. Let them learn, and you know, let's move on. Let's grow the company and and get, build our record company and our production company." And 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 you know, we had pretty much good success with that after. The- yeah, at that point, we became a label. And, yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I walk in. He's. I'm like, That's, oh, sorry, bro. <laughs> That's bad. Can we talk about DJ Mark, the 45 King? Of course. Mm. How did you guys are originally connect? He, he came as a client. But what was what was actually was it through DA? No, I don't know if that was a coincidence. Maybe I you think know, it was. Dave, uh, a dear friend of ours, lived in his building, and they became very close. I, I don't remember if that. I think was, it was. I think be. it was. I don't. There was no other because he was on his own island. Yeah, he dude. was on his own island. Uh, 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 yeah. Forty Five King. Yeah. He was already, you know, post. You know, Latifa and all that. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, you know. Well, Louis, Louis and him were very close. Louis. Too. Might have been through Louis. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. he, Mark and I became real over the last 10 years. Not so much at D&D, uh, but yeah, I got to say he was one of my best friends in life. 
Yeah. We spoke every day. He's one. Uh, God rest his soul. I man. know, I know. Uh, I know. I say nice love things Mark about Marcus. everyone, but he was just. Mark was our guy. He was a good guy. I can't explain. And his impact on hip hop was Mr. tremendous. I wish he could have seen the love, Me the too. outpouring of love that happened after he died because he did not believe that people liked and respected him. Mm. And after he died, it just all came out. And from Jay-Z writing a full-page letter to to everyone, who sh- everyone. everybody just yeah. showed up and showed respect. And, you know, I really wish you could have seen that. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, his impact is huge. Like, you know, me as a producer, like, <clears throat> Hard Knock <clears throat> Life is, like, <clears throat> one of the reasons I got into production. You know mm. what I mean? So He had such a unique take on stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, that no one had. Yeah. Because of his age, because of his background. And, like, he would sample something from a 1970 commercial. I mean, he just had such a amazing view uh, of music and life. And yeah. One of the smartest, funniest, wittiest. Organized. Organized like, beyond. Go in, his studio, going in his studio, I remember we had Dean D invited me to his apartment, and he had this studio. We had a, a phone booth in there, and he had this turn, uh, the, the subway turnstile and all these things. But everything was just perfectly in. He had a, yeah, a place uh, for everything. Uh, yeah, and, everything and he had, oh, I print my label. Here's a printer machine here. And then I do this over here. And everything was just like the most perfect setup. Like, man, I want to make D&D like this, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was very, you know, he had a schedule of what he was going to do that yeah, day very, from very 10 good. to 12. I'm doing, you know. Yeah. And the 900 number, too, was Insane, dude. Beyond. The, beyond, yeah. The impact that has on hip-hop, like, you hear it everywhere, dude. Everywhere. It's probably the most prolific yeah. hip-hop. I mean, like, league. you go to a sports ever. game, you're going to hear that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he was just, you know, just so funny, so smart. Yeah. You had to get him. A lot yeah. of people didn't get him, and they, you know, because he was very honest, very deadpan, but... If you got him and you knew him, there was no one. Well, we had a, a great run on uh, Clubhouse, I guess, during COVID. Uh, Dave uh, and I started this uh, D&D lounge. Uh, the D&D lounge. So 45 King was one of our regular people on there. He was like one of the hosts. And so great. He was just so crazy. He <laughs> loved it. He, yeah. That was a, a highlight for him because he did get some flowers. People were like, Mark, what are you talking about? You're yeah. a fucking god. Yeah. And and he really opened up and it was just it's so special. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I want to give him a little flowers too because he also produced Stan yeah. by Eminem, which is an incredible record. And yeah. I want to, if people just listen to this. Just those three songs, 900 number. I mean, yeah. It's that's insane. a career it, right there, but that's a career right there. the service. Yeah. 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 He know. was the founder of the Flavor Unit, you know, so many things. Yeah. yeah. So many things. Yeah. So I want to talk to you guys about, you know, in 2003, you guys sold D&D to Premiere. Well, we didn't really say it just kind of went to him. We were done and yeah. he yeah. He, yeah, he it was it, it was a it was a tough time for Dave and I at that moment. We uh things were changing. You yeah. know, so like, you know, Pro Tools came out and a lot of the budgets were going the clients were just buying Pro Tools and recording in their house, maybe coming to mix with us. So that dug into our business. Uh then everyone uh the nine eleven. Nine eleven hit and that was devastating for us. And New York was like a you know, empty. And Napster. Well, Napster crazy. was a killer because now everyone's downloading music for free. So all of a sudden we saw Raucous, we saw Tommy Boy, everyone going out of business. All the labels closing up there. There's independent labels in Manhattan closing up. Those were our clients. you know. Yeah. So the writing was the only true, real, best client we had was DJ Premier. And he was doing uh, the Gangstar record, um, Moment of Truth. Was no. What was what was the last record before, before they? Uh, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It was uh, the owners. I'm not sure. All right, mm. so it was like the last record that him and and uh, and Guru. Uh, Guru did together. And Primo was, you know, he came. He didn't come. Everyone's waiting around. It was like we had time for everybody. You know, I think everyone was just going through some crazy. You know, I mean, him and Guru were were a little bit not on the same page and a lot of things were going on, you know, and we, 
you know, the beat miners who are huge clients of ours, <clears throat> they weren't coming. Duck down. They, yeah, duck down. They weren't getting uh, sessions. Or they weren't doing as much. What they were doing at home wasn't really clear at the moment. But just a lot of weird stuff going on. And people were – so the place was kind of slow and empty. And we are like, what happened? You know, yeah. it's like we had this whole thing going beautifully, you know. I wish more people would use analog now too because there's just a certain of sound course, and yeah. warmth that you get from analog that digital just it's coming can't. back a little, just like vinyl's coming back. Yeah, a little. but it's yeah. amazing how they it's, made it's, such a ma- great records on analog. Where like today you do digital, it's it's really so it's not easy, but it's so it's so convenient for what you can do and you can have uh, 20 delays and whatever you want you can have back then you had to really think what you were doing and how sure. were you getting things in time and moving things and, and limitations of tracks yeah only yeah. Right. exactly now it's you it's know unlimited, unlimited. yeah uh, so bouncing vocals I mean it's a whole different thing there. yeah you know it was like a lot, and again, like we said before, a lot of our clients already had their first and second records, and all of a sudden they were, you know, you know, well, we're going to the, uh, the Hit Factory, or we're going to the Power Station, or whatever. I'm like, okay, you know, and so we lost a lot of our clients, and and the, the labels weren't putting the same amount of money into their records anymore. So what was once once maybe a you know three fifty five hundred thousand dollar budget, it was like a hundred now. You know, mm. so the guy, the, the producer would say to himself, I'm just going to go buy a computer in Pro Tools and, and, and do my record here and figure out how to do that. Yeah. A lot of them did that. And we, we did a lot of remixes and that business went away. That business went away. There no used more. to be remix budget, 10,000, 12,000. Yeah. It, it went to nothing. Nothing. And there was no, like, so like when we went from, you know, dance and we went to reggae and then we went to hip hop. There was no, there was no next. Where was the next thing? There was no next thing because the 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 way music was being distributed was being changed. All right, because don't forget now, so CDs and yeah. where are they? You know, everything's gone from that one was back then. No more cassettes, nothing like that, and retail in general. I mean, retail. We used to go. We love going to Tower Records and go to stores. Yeah, all Tower Records gone. You know mom what I mean? Mom and pops were yeah, all, all the mom and pops. We were, used to do Freestyle Fridays. We used to take Craig G and go around to mom and pops. Yeah, when we promote awesome. stuff and. No one would show up. It was empty. Everyone, the records yeah. were gone. The, yeah. the stores weren't even there to do it. Anymore. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really changing. changing. And you know, we we ended up getting a really nice uh, record deal or distribution deal with Red Distribution, and we had finance and we had we had all this money. It was like you know, even though things were really weird, we had all this money to make these records. And it was just a weird time, man. Like, it's like all of a sudden it kind of hit a wall. You know, yeah. what are we doing here? You know, uh, and it became tough to pay the, the bills. So we couldn't survive. And it was kind of dead for a while in general, and now there's this big rebirth. But, you know, there was a lot of stagnant years. Yeah. yeah. And then it finally shut the doors in, twenty, like, the top of 2015. You know, how did that feel after, like— it's heartbreaking. Yeah, no, I believe it, guys. No, 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 no. 2015, that was when Premier closed headquarters. I'm yeah, exactly. Mm. So— Headquarters. Oh, oh let's go. Headquarters are after Correct. Yeah. What do you want? I don't even know. I had no idea, that dude. Was, guys, that's I didn't even when you showed it. I didn't that's realize crazy. All right, no idea. <laughs> no I idea. A, Zero idea. Dave, that's that's beautiful. That's funny. That's, that's, look at that. That's, that's a moment. Your friends. That's, that's a moment. Okay, we'll we'll that's a moment friends, right yeah. there. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, that's too much. <laughs> I can't believe it. I actually thought I go. I imagine Dave wore this shirt. Also, I pulled it out last second. I was going to wear it. Didn't I? I looked over. I didn't occur. The only thing would have been crazier is if I had this clothes and then I opened it too. No, it's awesome, guys. That's great. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a rough. It was a rough time for us, man. You know, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. We had to reinvent ourselves. And that's why he kind of went out of music for a while. Yeah, he stayed in, and, and now I, he's I, back and as an incredible that. artist and doing his thing. We're working on some D and D stuff. You know, it's, it's yeah. That's a, the future for the new it's a, year. It's a new really time. got a, a documentary that I we're trying to finalize that up and. Uh, we're, we're talking trying about to another D and D project. Album, you know, and you know, people are. You know, it's it's a rebirth. Of that of that moment, and we're we're part of that. We're still young. We're still active. We still love music. We're still, you know, and we've been in it. We you know we're we're deeply in touch with uh, our old clients, and you know we're fans. We go to shows. We're yeah. you know yeah. And one thing when I met it. you, David, that was something that stood out to me <laughs> is that one thing that you really valued is your reputation, and you oh. have an incredible reputation oh, where you. you can. 
make these things happen, you know? Thank so you, yeah. I guess my question to you guys is, you know, the documentary is coming, but what's, what's next for you guys? Well, the documentary, possibly another D and D project. Um, uh, you know, we, we, again, we're dear friends. We, as, as time goes, we think of things again. He's got he's, an incredible yeah, got, artist. Yeah. And I got a, 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 a place, I got a business I run and he's got his own thing going on. So we have our, our separate things, but we're, you know, we have our family life, we have our biz, main business, and we have our D&D life, you know. Yeah. And, like, D&D life has kind of been put on sort of hold somewhat, you know, but because the opportunities really aren't there and we're not about to spend a lot of time doing it. But we see opportunities coming up now and, and people are reaching out to us. So uh, we're we're hopeful that in the new year that you'll be hearing great things from us. Let's go, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, man. Um, we appreciate you. You're such a talent. Dude. Yes, very. very you much know, so. I was like, Doug, this guy's great. He goes, I know, Mike. You know, what's Everyone's following. You're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, man. I want to end today's episode like how I end a lot of my episodes with my thought of the day. And my thought today is that your network is your net worth. The people that you keep around and hang around you are the people that are going to help you grow and level up. If you're hanging around a bunch of bums in your life, I'm sorry to say this, but you're going to become a bum most likely. But if you're surrounded by winners, people that are motivated, people that just have that ambition, that motivation to keep going, you're more likely to succeed. So be careful, watch your circle, and make sure that you're getting out there in the open, you know, networking, meeting people, because more opportunities will come your way the more people you know. And like I always say, you have to believe in yourself before the world does.